It is time for midday here on a Friday. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're out there in the tractor, in the truck, grain cart, whatever, appreciate it. Appreciate all the work you're doing. Please be careful. I know the hours can be pretty long, but uh, we sure appreciate what you're doing. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, we appreciate you being here. As we get ready for our midday program, uh, we're going to talk about what's going on. We'll listen to Al Dutcher, Fridays in the Field, all of that coming up. Jason will get us caught up on sports. We'll take a look at business, all of that coming your way. But let's uh, get a little preview, first of all, from Susan Littlefield. Thanks, Scott, and happy Friday to everybody. Here's what's happening today from the farm team. It is a Friday, which means we catch up with Al Dutcher taking a look at the weather happenings. Looks like a cool front is headed our way. Then at 1245, Shaley will step back in to speak with Ashley Coles on the Cattle Market Transparency Act. And then wrapping up everything at 117 is this week's FNBO's Fridays in the Field. We're going to head to the western part of the state and Chabella Guzman. That's a midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. And uh, good news for the Denver Nuggets. They need to be down three games to one to start playing. So they are. That's how it's worked in the past, (laughs) although... uh... They weren't playing LeBron James and company they were not. that time around. So no, they sure were. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll talk some college football. Nebraska coach Scott Frost was a guest last night on Sports Nightly. Really, his first public comments since it was announced that there would be a season coming up in October. Uh, Greg Sharp asked him if he thought Nebraska's uh, insistence on playing, if that had anything to do with it. And we'll get the coach's hmm. thoughts on that. Also, they're kicking around the idea. and. I mean, I, I see where they're going with this, but uh, there will be no minimum number of games that a team needs to win in order to qualify for the postseason if there's bowl games, which makes sense because all of the conferences are playing a different amount of games. So right. if the NCAA Council puts this through, you could go winless and still be eligible to go to a bowl game. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But good news, Pac-12 and Big or uh, whatever, the Mountain West, yeah. they decided to play now. And uh, Pac-12 is going to try to squeeze one in here, uh, seven games, and try to get their championship yeah. game played. So We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Uh, Big 12 starts uh, their action tomorrow with conference games. K-State will try to bounce back against Oklahoma. I think it'd be probably tough to try to surprise the Sooners two years in a row. Yeah, uh, one of K State's problems has been they've had a number of kids missing, uh, either COVID or injuries or whatever. And Coach Climate has talked about that. But it, it'll it'll be good to see K State in Oklahoma on TV tomorrow morning at eleven. That makes it feel real. It does. Yeah. It does more so than what we've seen the last couple of weeks. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's uh, let's take a quick look at uh, stocks here. Green across the board in the major indices. Uh, Dow Jones Industrials are are up 104. Nasdaq up 124. S and P is also up 19. Uh, U.S. stocks are kind of mixed as the morning has gone through. Strength in uh, technology stocks today is lifting the overall market. However, U.S. stock indexes are being held back by today's sell-off in European stocks on increased European COVID infections. And uh, concern also about the lack of new U.S. stimulus measures, which has uh, prompted downgrades in forecasts for GDP. Growth. All of that coming up on midday. Let's join Clay Patton now.
and we go to Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics, for a midday check here of the trade. And, Mike, we have a split grain market here today. Wheat on the lower side, corn and soybeans moving back to the higher side. Is this feeding off more of a weather fundamental or a currency fundamental? I think it's more currency, Clay, because we're actually getting the noontime model maps out, and they continue to stay very dry for the hard red wheat belt for the next 7 to 10 days. And even in the deferred model runs past 10 days, there's not a lot of significant wide coverage of precip coming through on either of the GFS or the European model. I think what we're seeing instead is the dollar busting through a resistance point, a 94.65 area in the dollar index, Against the Russian ruble especially, that's extremely important because we are now back down in the Russian ruble. We're back down to levels not seen since early April in terms of ruble weakness against the U.S. dollar. So I think wheat continues to be the best canary in the coal mine when it comes to, be, uh, when it comes to trying to figure out and be um, cognizant of what's happening in the outside markets especially. Now we see corn and soybeans come back around today. We did get an announcement from USDA, 100,000 metric tons of soybean meal sold to unknown. Could this be a result of the fact that we're seeing more algorithmic traders coming back into these grain markets rather than the true fundamental traders, and this is giving it more momentum than what it may typically have? Yeah, I mean, I think this could be a very big key to the short term, meaning the next couple hours worth of trade as far as we've seen some headwinds building up in the outside markets. We've got a pretty nice harvest pace being built up. We do have a looks to be a slowdown as we get through this weekend, and it does look like maybe a little bit more of a pattern change uh, after that in terms of east of the Mississippi River. But if you take that out of the mix, not a lot of reasons why you would have a higher market today other than the fact that there's some option expirations uh, coming off, and I think that does promote the idea that you've got algos in there trying to position square and probably cover themselves up for the end of the week. But I've told the clients that I've spoken with today it's really important to watch the close today because we're trying to get above and stay above $10 in November beans. 10.05, 10.06 would be kind of a nice close. 10.16 would be a very nice close, but if you'd sink back below today's low of 9.95, that would probably open you up to the downside as we look forward to the grain stocks report next Wednesday. Let's go to livestock, where lean hogs have shaken off the fact that we saw those middleweight to heavyweight hogs in yesterday's report up 6%. They're the ones triple-digit higher, and they're pushing back against the cattle. Yeah, very strange price action here. I think maybe the algo traders are really playing in the beans and the hogs in that pork and bean trade because we had hogs weighing 180 and over at 110%, and you had the trade thinking there would be about 103% more. Uh, you had a marketings number that was strong, but it was matched up with a very good-sized all hogs and pigs report, so, uh, all hogs and pigs as of September 1. So I think you, don't, you didn't feed the bull, in my opinion, fundamentally, based upon yesterday's report. And so it really makes you question whether we're just outright trying to get after new 2020 highs because it's $72 in the lead month hogs. You're only 60 cents away from the highs made for the year back in early January. Just briefly, any thoughts ahead of the cattle on feed this afternoon? Well, I think the market's trying to pre-position for another big round of on uh, placements and, and the on-feed numbers ballooning because this drought continues in a large section of the Southern Plains. So hopefully we've got that priced in. Again, we're talking with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Over the weekend, check out GlobalComResearch.com. Mention the Rural Radio Network. Receive a two-week free trial of Mike's newsletter and analysis. But do remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. 
Time for us to take a look at our weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation and uh, checking on how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here with our ag weather and... uh, steady as she goes right now exactly and uh, we were thinking we're going to see a bit of a cool down for tomorrow and that's not going to be the case it's now going to be uh the hottest day of our next seven days for tomorrow i like how you put it uh, weak cold front will wash out it's a washout for exactly yeah right now we do have that weak cold front drifting through the region and it is switching our winds around to the north and northwest but that's about it it's going to be washing out and we're going to see probably a day similar to what we saw yesterday as far as temperatures go a little bit of wind out there but nothing too much and then tomorrow, even warmer before we see much cooler air as we head towards next week. And very dry tomorrow, it sounds like, with humidities down in the teens in some areas. Exactly. Yeah, West Central and Central Nebraska especially going to see those very low humidities, and that will definitely elevate the fire weather danger. Currently, we have temperatures for the most part in Nebraska in the low to mid-70s. We do have some 60s as you head towards the Nebraska Panhandle. A little bit warmer as you headed to northern Kansas and northeast Colorado with temperatures currently in the upper 70s to the low 80s and some drier air continuing to move in. Uh, Dew points into the upper 40s to low 50s in much of west-central Nebraska but two points into the 30s in the Nebraska Panhandle and western Kansas. Uh, a little bit uh, more humidity as you go into eastern Nebraska, those dew points into the low 60s for the most part. That weak cold front expected to move through the area today and then wash out as it moves to the east. The front's passage will result in winds out of the north, but that's about it as far as any really big weather changes. Due to the weakness of the front, our temperatures will continue to be about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than average for this afternoon. Tomorrow looks to be even warmer and actually on the hot side as that front lifts north as a warm front with the help of some westerly downslope winds temperatures tomorrow about 20 degrees above average and we are looking at many locations tomorrow getting into the mid to upper 90s with the humidity dropping to 15 to 20 percent winds will increase fire weather concerns will be elevated especially in central and west central nebraska that's where we do of course have a fire weather watch for the time being for central and west central nebraska most likely that will get upgraded to a red flag warning for tomorrow a slight chance of rain back in the forecast for tomorrow night through Sunday night with some disturbances tracking southeast. At best, we're going to see some spotty rain coverage. If it does stay dry through the end of this month, as expected, many locations in central Nebraska will see their driest June through September on record, especially wow. right around Hastings to Minden to Kearney. Possibly the driest June on record, mm. June through September on record in central Nebraska. Gee, and we do have that graphic if you would like to check that out on how dry it is on our KRBM Facebook page. In behind a stronger cold front, temperatures on Sunday will drop to slightly cooler than normal. Monday we'll see a spike of, or actually temperatures be even cooler before a brief spike to those seasonal levels on temperatures for Tuesday. Then another cold front late Tuesday night cooling the temperatures to about 10 degrees cooler than normal for Wednesday and Thursday, and no rain expected with that front. Some western areas will look at the chance of some frost by Thursday morning. In the long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures likely to remain cooler than normal Wednesday through the first eight days of October. In early October, average central Nebraska daytime highs are in the low 70s with average overnight lows in the low 40s. High chances for below normal rainfall will continue for Wednesday through the 8th of October in Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. Key weather factors impacting the markets include 
cool and dry weather for the Midwest and ongoing dryness concerns in Russian wheat areas. A strong surge of cool air will arrive across the plains of Midwest late this weekend into early next week. In the Midwest, the cool and mainly dry weather through the next two weeks will favor corn and soybean harvest. Some frost is possible in northern and eastern areas of the Midwest with that much cooler air. Southern Plains crop areas will be mainly dry over the next week. Scattered rain with an approaching cold front will offer very little in the way of rain for wheat areas. Soil moisture for worldly wheat development in the Southern Plains starting to decline. Drought currently covers 26% of the U.S. winter wheat production area. Russia and Ukraine wheat areas have a mixed rainfall forecast. Moderate rain is indicated for western Ukraine in the next seven days. Russia will be mainly dry with very little improvement in soil moisture for their winter wheat. The Black Sea region has had no more than 20% of its normal rainfall the past 60 days. My goodness, that's uh, a lot of places. Yeah, and then um, actually, you know, there's been places in central Nebraska that have had their wettest July on record towards the Hebron area. But you just go a little more to the east, and it's potentially going to be one of the driest uh, summers on record. Interesting. Well, it's, uh, it is certainly dry out there right now. A lot of dust getting kicked up, that's for sure. So. Yeah. Uh, farmers going gangbusters right now getting that uh, product, uh, harvest in. Yep, good for them. Be safe, for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Paul, where do you go to check in on your weather? WeatherTab, krvn.com. It's time again this week that we get to catch up with our Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist, Al Dutcher. I'm Julie Peters, back with you on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, as we looked at last week's forecast, you were pretty much spot on. A very nice week for us as we head into this weekend and next week, the first full week of fall. Can we expect more of that? Well, Shaley, I guess it depends on your perspective. If you're worried about precipitation, there's really not much in any way to hope and for precipitation through this next week and possibly even for the next two weeks. Now, the model is just keeping this dry trend in place with this upper atmospheric ridge to our west. And this persistent coughiness over southern Canada, we're going to start to see some of that cold air filter in once again as that trough deepens, as it moves eastward somewhat, as there is tries to expand northward, it's going to cause this trough to deepen over the Great Lakes, and that's going to pull some cool air in. We're going to start to see that as impacts we get into tomorrow afternoon going to be warm before then we're going to be looking at widespread upper 80s 90s across the southern part of the state with some very high winds we'll probably see that uh, intensify as we go to tomorrow as the front approaches and then we're going to start to cool down back to more normal temperatures that cooler starts to slide in on sunday and then a big impulse comes down with a with a nice jet uh, uh, on the back side of this trough it's going to really bring some very cold Canadian air into our region. We're going to drop about another 10 degrees as we go into Monday. We'll be looking at 60s, low 60s to mid 60s. Very windy north winds, very dry Canadian air. We'll see that somewhat subside as we get into Tuesdays. That trough weakens a little bit. It'll warm up maybe about a 10 degrees into the low 70s. Once again, very dry atmosphere in place. And then we get another surge of cold air coming in. And right now, the GFS model just brushes northeastern Nebraska with that cool Canadian air. We will always see in the higher elevations of the Panhandle some frosty conditions. The biggest concern that I have is the GFS model has shifted this cold air penetration slightly to the east. All it has to do is back up 150, 200 miles. And we can see widespread frost across the eastern one-third of the state. 
Then as we go into Thursday and Friday, we're going to see that cool air remain in place, but there are signs of the GFS model. That we will quickly start to build a ridge back into the area and warm back up as we go into next weekend before another surge of cold air comes back into the region. But every single one of these has no moisture to work with as they're all coming from the north. So the biggest issue we're going to deal with is just which direction are the winds going to be. We're going to have to remember that with this dry atmosphere, a lot of combines go and be aware under those conditions that, you know, these fires are going to be easy to start. And because there's so much dust in the air, visibility may be a little problematic depending on which way the winds are blowing and which way you're driving into those winds. And to that point, you know, we're hearing a lot about, continue to hear a lot about those fires to the west of us. But uh, with as dry as we have been, just as susceptible, there is a concern there uh, also. That is correct. And, and you have to be aware that this very dry atmosphere, especially with the drought follow-up, we've just got brown cover everywhere. And it's not going to take much of an ignition source to get things going, especially in these high winds. And we've seen this in the past as the harvest combine period gets kicked in with these very dry falls and windy conditions, which are very common in the high plains, that we have a lot of these issues that deal with. So be aware, carry that extra fire extinguisher on those combines, try to get that tucker put out before it gets out of hand. And folks, as you're driving, be aware that there's going to be a lot of activity over these next 10 to 14 days as folks try to get their heart crops harvested. All right, thanks so much. It's Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports, brought to you by Arrow Seed Company. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks. Well, Nebraska head coach Scott Frost made his first public comments last night since the Big Ten announced it would reverse course and now try to have a football season. Frost and NU were very vocal about wanting to play, and he was asked if he thought that made a difference. I think it was probably helpful, some of the things that, that we said and did, and maybe some things that our players said and did, and we weren't the only ones. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there at, at some other schools, too, fighting to play, and at the very least, I think that kept the conversation going and maybe some some pressure on some people to, to revisit that decision. and. Frost made his comments last night on Sports Nightly in the Huskers Sports Network. The Huskers open up the year at Ohio State on October 24th. Well, the postseason for college football will look different this year. There will be no win requirements to play in a bowl this season if approved by the NCAA's council next month. The Pac-12 has set a November 6th start date for a seven-game football season following the Big Ten and overturning its August decision to postpone everything due to covid conference's CEO group of university presidents voted unanimously to resume football and basketball, lifting a January 1st moratorium on athletic competition in that league. Big 12 regular season begins tomorrow with K-State at Oklahoma. That one will start at 11, and the SEC also kicks off its season tomorrow. High school football tonight, 2-1 McCook hosts 1-2 Lexington. The Bison have yet to play a home game this year due to losing a game to COVID, and head coach Jeff Gross says that's been different. We need a home game so bad. We started football camp on July 20th. We went two weeks of camp, led right into two-a-days and, you know, preseason camp, and and we've been playing football since July 20th, and it is this Friday is September 25th, and we ain't played at home yet. Um, so need a home game, need our kids to experience their own atmosphere. Last year, Lexington beat the Bison for the first time this century in double overtime. Kickoff tonight is set for 7. We will bring you that game on 880-KRVN. Now, Franklin was unable to play tonight's game against Wilcox-Hildreth, so Falcons got on the phone and lined up another game. They'll play this afternoon at home at 2 as they welcome in Santee. 
Only one playoff spot remains open in the American League, and Michael Brantley and the Astros are on the verge of clinching it. Houston is visiting the Rangers this weekend. The Twins are trying to seal up the AL Central. They hold a one-game lead over the White Sox, and they're at Target Field to finish up against Cincinnati. And that's a look at sports. For more, you can check that out anytime at krvn.com. It is time for Midday News. Our own Ellen Simmons has stepped in. And Ellen, I knew you and the rest of the uh, news department has uh, more coverage from the uh, opening statements of the murder trial uh, and defendant Bailey Boswell today. And this is, what, the third day this week? Yes. Well. We started this week. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, wait, what? Um, Yeah. So they they found their jury yesterday and then they started this morning with um, opening comments and... I it, bef- the beforehand before the opening um, statements, it was more of just like get the jurors ready, sifting through the yeah. jury who their jury is going to be. Okay, all right, very good. Well, I know you have more information on that. So, opening statements were heard this morning in Lexington in the murder trial of defendant Bailey Boswell. KRVN's Dave Schroeder reports. Special Prosecutor Sandra Allen of the Nebraska Attorney General's Office outlined the case from the contacts on the dating app Tinder between Bailey Boswell and other women, including Sidney Loof. Loof, a 24-year-old Lincoln woman, was reported missing. Other social media postings about Loof's disappearance led to the development of Boswell as one of the suspects in the case. Defense attorney Todd Lancaster reminded jurors that the burden of proof is on the prosecution to prove the case against Boswell. He also asked jurors to weigh the reliability of witnesses in their evaluation of the case. From the Dawson County Courthouse, I'm Dave Schroeder. A Nebraska prisoner who convinced a judge to throw out his first-degree murder conviction and order his release with remain behind bars after the state Supreme Court overturned that ruling. The decision was a win for prosecutors. They scrambled to keep Jack Harris in prison after the district court judge's order last year. Harris is serving a life sentence for the 1995 shooting death of Anthony Jones during a drug robbery in Omaha. Judge Jody Nelson ordered Harris release in February 2019 after concluding that prosecutors violated his right to a speedy trial. Nebraska Medicine says it will resume normal operations in days following a cyber attack that shut down computer systems early Sunday. The Omaha World Herald reports that officials described the outage in a statement Thursday as a significant information technology system downtime event. It led to the postponement of appointments for patients with elective procedures or other non-critical health concerns. The system's emergency rooms have remained open and no patients were diverted to other hospitals. No patients' electronic medical records were deleted or destroyed thanks to the system's backup and recovery processes. Two two suspects were taken into custody on Tuesday in connection with an armed robbery and assault on September 3rd in Kearney. 43-year-old Billy P. Hurl Sr. and 22-year-old Jenny F. Cleveland are both charged with robbery, assault in the first degree, use of a weapon to commit a felony, theft, and possession of a firearm by a prohibited person. At approximately 1.17 p.m. on Thursday, September 3rd, Kearney police responded to CHI Good Samaritan Emergency Room for an assault-slash-armed robbery report. 
And the adult male victim reported he had been assaulted and robbed at a residence in South Kearney on September 2, 2020, sustaining serious injuries to his face and head. With, informa- with information provided by the victim, investigators were able to identify the two suspects, Cleveland and Hurl Sr. You can find more news at krvn.com. Thank you very much, Ellen. Nebraska Senator has introduced the Cal Market Transparency Act of 2020. I'm Shaylee Peters, back with you on the Rural Radio Network. And today we're going to visit about that with Ashley Coles. She's the Director of Government Affairs with the Nebraska Cattlemen. And Ashley, this is something we saw just recently introduced this past week by Nebraska Senator Dev Fisher. And I wanted to get into the details of it. What exactly uh, is in this bill and kind of go from there. Give us a little bit of background to begin with. Yeah, so this bill is basically broken down into four different parts. Um, two of the, I guess, components of this bill came directly from the USDA report um, that came from their investigation of cattle markets from the Holcomb fire through COVID. Uh, those two parts are the cattle contract spec library, which if you're familiar with the swine industry, is just like the contract spec library um, that they already utilize. But basically, it requires USDA to create and maintain this library. Um, producers would not know which packers are offering any provisions listed in the contract spec library, nor would they know how the packer would combine those provisions to make any specific contract. But it's valuable to our members because uh, they're able to see what provisions are out there if they're interested in negotiating a contract with a packer. Uh, the other one is the 14-day slaughter reporting or outlook window. Again, mirrors the swine industry. And how that works is every morning a packer reports the number of cattle they have scheduled for slaughter each day. Um, and this tool is in, would be beneficial to our members um, basically by allowing them to know uh, what the packers' needs are for cattle in a 14-day window. Um, then it shifts over to addressing some it, uh, some concerns that we hear at Nebraska Cattlemen, but also that the senators heard um, from her constituents. One of them is on confidentiality. Uh, for confidentiality, so current law states that USDA needs to report information in a manner that ensures confidentiality. Um, it, but how the senator, I guess, has interpreted it is that uh, the USDA still needs to report something if they're collecting information through LMR. Uh, so USDA has chosen if to just not report anything if they don't feel that they can do so confidentiality. Uh, and this bill basically charges USDA to figure out a way to report information they're collected in a confidential manner, not withhold information. So that's what the confidentiality piece does. And then finally, the fourth component of the bill is regional cash minimums. Uh, so this is a an effort to try to increase price discovery. Um, so that the bill basically directs uh, the secretary or USDA to establish regional negotiated cash and negotiated grid minimums to establish what those minimums are and then um, develop a tracking and monitoring system to make sure that packers and processors comply with those minimums. Um, there is a component that, uh, that this provision you know, is subject to public notice and public comments uh, once they put together what those minimums are and what the tracking monitoring system is. And uh, the final component of this cash minimums piece is if a pack would violate those minimums, then they would face a civil penalty uh, per violation of up to $10,000. Now, you talk about the different parts of this bill, Ashley. Tell us a little bit more about if it does make its way through and does get passed, uh, are, is it going to be a um, pretty big deal to implement it, or is it going to be a little more subtle changes? I know you had mentioned that the other industries uh, have already implemented parts of this. So what will that look like? 
Um, so for the contract spec library and the 14-day slaughter reporting window, uh, those would be relatively subtle changes because USDA um, has, A, already suggested those changes in their report, and B, already has the framework in place. They just need to change terminology, maybe change some of the packers and processors that they're working with. Uh, the confidentiality and the regional cash minimums pieces um, will take a little bit more work um, just because they need to be able to change um, a few things within USDA. Uh, there's also, as I said, you know, the public notice and public comment um, to establishing some of those programs. And also, again, it's been recently introduced, but a lot of these things have been talked about for a long time. What was the initial reaction, uh, good or bad, when um, this was released and, and this was uh, brought forth? Yeah, so I guess the, I'll start with the positive side. Um, you know, the, we've, hear, we've heard from a lot of folks that uh, they're excited that the senator is willing to take leadership on a lot of these topics. Because, um, again, there are things we've been talking about, you could argue, for decades in regards to the, the cattle marketing side of things, especially for price discovery. Um, so some of them are new, again, to the beef industry. People are, are intrigued with the beef cattle contract library and then uh, the 14-day slaughter outlook window. Um, but people need to take a deeper dive into the confidentiality in the regional cash minimums pieces. So those are the two where people kind of take a pause um, and need to have a little bit more time to ruminate over what that actually means and what that could actually look like. And then finally, nothing gets done in a hurry, it seems like, when it comes to legislation. But what's the next step? What does the timeline look like for this bill? Yeah, so I guess with this bill, you know, we would like things to move faster than, than they tend to when it comes to congressional action on things. Um, but as far as the timeline goes, you know, they're running out of time before the election. Uh, and so we don't foresee this going very far uh, before the election, but we'll continue to work with the Senator to make sure that um, some version of this bill, if it doesn't get done um, in this um, legislature, for sure in the next. All right. Thanks so much. It's Ashley Coles, Director of Government Affairs, talking about, again, that Cattle Market Transparency Act of 2020. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Welcome to this week's Fridays in the Field, brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank. It's harvest time across the Midwest in the panhandle of Nebraska. Growers have been harvesting sugar beets and dry edible beans as early as the last week of August. In Sioux County, Paul Peeper has just gotten into his dry bean fields. He explains how the freeze, which hit in September 10th, affected his bean crop. Well, the frost did affect us. It, it stops. You know, we were 26 degrees here and it stopped the growing process. Um, the beans then, the ones that were green, had to dry down. And um, what happens with a great northern bean, it can get slimy in the pod. And we need that process, that bean to dry out so we can harvest it. And there's also some veining that goes on in beans. If you see it, you know, in a bag, um, you can see the veins in the beans. You you know that there's been a a process or something that's affected that bean that, that caused that to happen. So, but... With the freeze, it did it did stop the growing process, and it, and uh, it did uh, on some of the later beans. It it did affect them. They end up having to take a disc to the field. They they just weren't able to harvest them because they were just too green. Peeper says his great northerns were close enough to harvest, where all they needed to do was just to dry down. While there are five varieties of dry beans grown in the Panhandle, Peeper says the dominant one is great northerns. Well, here in the panhandle of nebraska we're the actually um the largest great northern producer in the nation 
um, for the number of bags, you know, and uh, we just have the right climate for it. Uh, we're high and dry, and uh, that's what they like um, versus a pinot. You, um, they grow those in North Dakota, Idaho, and, you know, around, but here, this the climate and the conditions are just right for Great Northerns, and that's what makes them, you know, ideal for this area. Peeper has spent the week undercutting his bean plants, as he explains. We uh, started cutting this field of beans. Uh, we're getting them ready, undercutting them, and 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 getting ready to combine. Well, that's a process that allows us to, to harvest our beans here and, and to pick them up with the, the combine. you got to break them loose first and since we don't cut direct. So we use the, a, a cutter, a bean knife, and, and go along and, and cut the roots off of the, of the, off the beans and then uh, run a rod behind it to lift them up and, and shake some of the dirt out. And then that allows us to come along with our combine later this afternoon and and actually physically get the bean out of you know up off the ground. If nothing broke during bean harvest, people will be done harvesting this weekend. Like many area farmers, he will move from one harvest to the next. Well, we'll have a corn corn to to take out once it dries down. We just got done with uh, the early freeze. Uh, put us in silage mode we got our silage taken out and then we uh, have also harvested our honey since we, we we talked about that earlier so we spun out our honey and and now we're on to beans we also have some alfalfa left to cut some third cutting and we'll hope, hope to get that done to this this month so it's a busy month peeper says after the harvest he'll start planning for the next year as winter becomes spring and before he knows it he's back in the field I'm Chabella Guzman with the Rural Radio Network, and thanks for joining me and Paul Peeper in Sioux County for this summer's Fridays in the Field, brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank. Play Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. And John, looking at the closing grain futures, and a green day for corn and soybeans, but here at the close, they were really starting to mo- lose momentum, and really soybeans settled six off their high. Is there something to take note there? Oh, I think we're going to kind of wash around here between the high you know, tens or high uh, nines and, and low tens, at least through Wednesday when we find out what the grain stock numbers are. You know, maybe some some potential for speculative demand to pop a little bit on that, but uh, who would be bullish? You know, maybe it legs up. I, I think today the news was more soy meal based. Uh, Brazil and Argentina will go into kind of a shutdown mode as far as their their uh, crushing capacity uh, here in a couple of months, and so they're planning for that. And I think you're starting to see some soy meal shipments purchased from the U.S. today. China bought a little bit of that, so no China, no soybean purchases, but they did buy meal in the in the market like that. But we did kind of fall from the back. Uh, November 21 beans closed below 950 at 947, and the wheat as well. Wheat was up, you know, pretty decently last night, and then you know gave back almost all of those gains uh, as the day went on. So, I, I, you know, with corn and wheat, it's, I think it's we're in a market that's pretty certain to a certain degree. I mean, we have we have a good idea that there's going to be corn around. On the soybean side, you know, demand is so strong in the near term with these commitments, nobody really has a clue what's going to. If some of those shipments don't show up off the off the combine, and that's really where I think there's some risk premium that can still be priced in, especially if that grain stocks report is bullish next week. 
Now, as we look over again, we kind of a little bit lower on the day, but as you were talking about grain stocks coming out next week, is this a time really to be positioning and planning your marketing, or is it one, let the data come to you and then make a decision? Usually, I would say these reports are kind of a winners for the for the brokers and those involved. I mean, really, we have a lot of NASCAR days where the market go up and down and come right back to where it started. I think in the case of soybeans, though, you know, the time value on some cheap puts doesn't make isn't a bad play. Or if you make some sales here, just buy a call. Um, you know, I certainly think the possibility of seeing those highs from from last week and then early early this week are there. Ten forty is going to be a tough nut to crack, but again, we're still without rain in the forecast in Brazil. Another two weeks go by, and if we have planning problems there, combined with some sort of, you know, idea that uh, that maybe Trump has an election, uh, at least a hand on the election, uh, you know, maybe China needs to panic buy even a little more, and that's where you got to be careful being too short. I, I can be short corn, I can go to sleep that way, but with beans, it's a little bit of a different game. Again, we're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. But do remember, trading futures is an option that involves risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Catch John Payne again as a podcast at ruralradio.com. Thank you very much, Clay. That will wrap up today's edition of Midday. If you miss anything, not only from today's Midday segments, but earlier this week, you can listen to our Midday podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors on iTunes or KRVN.com.